This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, and we're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. The three of us are in Jacksonville the day before Notre Dame takes on South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. We had an opportunity today uh, to meet with Marcus Freeman and Captain Jarrett Patterson and J.D. Bertrand. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about from that, and of course, we're going to preview Notre Dame versus South Carolina, but before we get to that, I know there's been a clamoring uh, on Irish Illustrated on our message board to provide more NIL input. And we were told that Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna of the Shamrock did a tremendous job of addressing that. And we have Pete Sampson with us, as we oh. usually do. And uh, what a coincidence that is. And, uh, and Pete, I would like to throw it to you to just kind of summarize for the Irish Illustrated uh, listeners, subscribers, followers, uh, how you and Matt portrayed how Notre Dame is handling NIL. Yeah, so we we were talking sort of post-signing day because obviously that was like the, the elephant in the room, right, with Marcus Freeman on signing day and Tim, you asked about acquisition fees, and that really wasn't what we were talking about. Um, it was more about Notre Dame, the institution, um and their embrace of nil like public embrace of nil which i think has been like i think lukewarm might be overstating sort of how much they've embraced it um you know it's so and i think it's we you know on that part of shamrock or this podcast i think we're always talking about like how notre dame can do things differently or enhance what they're doing but still be notre dame and i think a lot of the nil conversation is sort of jump the tracks to why isn't Notre Dame paying upfront recruits? Uh, and that's that wasn't what we were talking about at all. It was more whether that's Jack Swarbrick talking about fund the Brady Quinn Tom Mendoza venture publicly um, to raise more money for that. You know, if if there's a way that Notre Dame can work more in concert with, um, you know, what is a I think a really good properly run collective that's out there that's trying to back Notre Dame. Um, you know, so when the players get here, there's more funding for them as student athletes at Notre Dame um, as they put in the work. And I think that's I think Notre Dame has been very. I mean, just too reluctant to jump into this. And I understand, like, you want to make sure you don't take a misstep. But um, I think sort of that reluctance misses the point that, like, look, there are teams that are five steps ahead of Notre Dame because they're willing to go places Notre Dame is not willing to go. And understandably so, but you got to maximize and do, a, I think, a better job of getting your arms around NIL um, as it stands. Like if you're going to work with third-party companies that are going to help you with NIL, like promote that, let people know that, um, you know, it, it helps in recruiting. It helps the coaches. And I, maybe most importantly, I think it helps, get the word out to Notre Dame fans are like, yeah, if you're going to donate to something, donate to fund. I mean, that that's, that's where I think Notre Dame needs to do a better job is like saying, yeah, we, we endorse this. If you want to donate to this, like we think that's a good idea. Maybe not in so many words, but opposed to just not saying anything about it. Yeah. I think that's a very accurate portrayal of it, Pete. And, you know, at this stage of the process, I, you know, I agree. I mean, they should be they should be further along. It all stems from, and we've talked about this before, the discomfort 
being uncomfortable dealing with 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 nil and being upfront about it and i and i think that you know the timetable of this is i mean they're 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 behind the times on this and it creates a lot of frustration for, for fans obviously have as as we have found out um but you got to play the game uh you know i it, it's too often a, a, a phrase that's used too often but they are at a crossroads, man. I mean, you, you've got to be able to, to um, wrap your arms around it. And they've done a, they've done a less than, uh, than uh, admirable job of doing that. And so now you find yourself in a position where your fan base is like, what the hell is going on? Um, you know, and now you're getting, you're dealing with Sam Hartman. We'll get into some of the specifics of that, but, uh, you know, I agree. And I applaud you for uh, addressing that Tim, your perspective on this. Yeah. I don't want to go down 50 tangents here. So I, I think the best way to say it is fund exists and is acknowledged by Notre Dame. So it exists. You've acknowledged it. The next step should be enhancing and embracing it. There's, there's four steps to anything like, why would you ignore if, if it exists and you acknowledge it and it's okay with you, it is okay to promote, to enhance, to embrace it. And I, I can't for the life of me figure out a reason not to going forward, going back. I understand that their reluctance is different than my reluctance would be going forward. You know, you cannot be reluctant in this realm anymore. Otherwise, why even have it? Why would yeah. you not promote something that is a positive that helps you? You acknowledged it. It's a positive. Embrace it. And we have made, the media has made repeated efforts to engage in this conversation with Notre Dame. And it doesn't go anywhere. I so, think it's, I mean, I would, I think there's some discourse on the board about like, well, what are what are the programs doing? And you think Gene Smith at Iowa State, Ward Manuel at Michigan come out and say like, these are our collectives. Like we endorse them. Um, the flip side of that is there was a story on the athletic, I think yesterday that Scott Dockerman who covers Iowa for us wrote about how there's like uh, a disconnect between Iowa's collective and Iowa's athletic department. And it's incredibly awkward when you have a group that's trying to support your athletic department, your athletic department say, we, we either, we don't want your support or yeah. I, I just, just please be quiet over there. Like it, that doesn't work. Um, and I think, Notre Dame sort of moving more towards that, where you have people saying, we're trying to support the football program. And a, the university is like, uh, okay, we're not sure what to do there. And I will say, like, I think there's been, I think one of the questions that popped up is like, well, what would an endorsement from Jack Swarbrick really mean? Well, when you talk to some of the people who donated a fund early on, like, they were sort of waiting, like, okay, unofficially, are you, are you okay with this? Like, is this somewhere we should be putting funding? And like, once they sort of got the understanding that, okay, it's okay to do it, then fun took off. Um, but it, that hasn't opened up sort of to the general fan base. It's been more like sort of super donors that have been you know more instrumental there. Yeah. Well, we will continue to monitor this situation, but um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a great situation for Notre Dame. And you're in, it, it, it's not like this just cropped up. You know, I mean, you, you're looking for a quarterback. You're looking for all these other things to enhance. I think we use the word enhance too much. Certainly Marcus Freeman does. But uh, Embrace. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, augment. Use Augment. Yeah. You know. We're challenging everything here at the Irish Illustrated Insider <laughs> Podcast. I find myself, like, when I want to use the word enhanced, now I'm not using yeah. it because it's overused. But yeah. we'll we'll continue to address that. Pete, I appreciate you um, addressing that. And I appreciate our readers bringing it to our attention so we could address it here. We don't have any solutions, of course. Um but maybe Nordame will as they continue to move forward on this. Okay, we do have a football game here. I don't know. You know, I, I think like initially when I, oh, Nordame, North, uh, Nordame, South Carolina. Okay, let's see. This, this could be a good matchup. This could be interesting. It really isn't. <laughs> I mean, it really, it, especially <laughs> oh, with. I thought I wrote something bad to start my preview. No, Go no, ahead. <laughs> I, I don't think that there's a lot of uh, national attention on Nordane versus South Carolina. I don't, other than the fact that Lou Holtz coached in both places, uh, which still to me seems a little bit strange that he coached after, uh, a- after Notre Dame and did a good after the 0 and 11. Can you imagine what Lou Holtz was like after an 0 and 11 season at South Carolina? They did no, pretty well. That would be yeah. bad. Um, I, I, you know, Tim, you make a good point. I thought this when I sat down. Um, I wonder if the Gator Bowl, a traditional bowl, kind of like the Citrus Bowl was a traditional bowl. Um, if they really miss – this game would be talked about if this was a noon game on New Year's Day, even though it's the exact same teams playing with the exact same records. It's, it's yeah. a major issue when you play December 28th. Even bowl week, like the Gator Bowl committee, the Gator Bowl, has been around long enough. Nobody was here before the 26th because nobody's going to come for the Gator Bowl on Christmas Day. Like even – that's barely Marcus Freeman coming down at that time. So you really don't benefit when you're on the 28th and 29th. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough sell nationally. I think you just stick it at noon and it's the biggest deal for. Yeah. I I realize the opt outs have certainly contribute to the the feeling of this game. And I'm not, you know, I'm looking, I I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow's game and Notre Dame needs a win. I mean, you need, if you don't win your bowl game, there's a cloud that hangs over your program and a, a level of negativity that's hard to brush away. And so it's very important that Notre Dame wins this football game. Um, now, that, but but not having a Michael Mayer and uh, Isaiah Foskey, and certainly South Carolina has the quantity of opt-outs is even, even greater. So that you don't notice as much as you're following other bowls. You don't think as much about it, but when you, this is the game that you're focusing on, the opt-outs that really have, have taken away some of the luster that, that, you know, we were all kind of looking for drew pine, not being here takes a, a, away some of the luster because he started the last 10 games for Notre yeah, Dame. You know, I don't, that's one thing I, I think it takes away from Notre Dame because it would be good to have pine and Buckner working in Congress. And we have a question on this. You also would not have needed to tell anybody that Tyler Buckner was going to play for your right, team right. if Drew Pine was here, and that would be a huge advantage. Uh, not, I mean, it could be a huge advantage if Tyler Buckner came in in the 2021 Buckner package. That would be a pretty big advantage, I feel, for this team if you had not really prepared for it. Uh, of course, they had to all of a sudden trumpet that he's playing. Otherwise, it was, oh, Steve Angeli's starting, huh? I think the, the one part about it is not that it's better for the football game, but the intrigue is bigger for the Gator Bowl for fans that Tyler Buckner is the quarterback instead of Drew Pine. That's true. No, that's yep. true. It's a game that feels like very disconnected from the season that preceded it. Um, in a in a way that I don't remember a Notre Dame Bowl ever feeling that way. Even last year when the head coach left, um, you know that still felt more connected to the season that had preceded it than this one does. So it's yeah, I mean it's like it's an exhibition with, but with stakes. Um, I think that the Buckner storyline is still really interesting. Um, if for no other reason that like 
it's a chance to maybe see the guy that we all hoped or thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season behind an offensive line that we hoped or thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season. But then you have on top of that, like Tyler Buckner's in for a quarterback competition, most likely um, once spring practice gets going with a very veteran quarterback. So, you know, does he have a chance to really lay claim to like, no, 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 I'm still fighting for this job. I don't know. Um, So that's interesting. Like, I think that, I think some, I don't know if one of you guys asked about the receivers today, that position is interesting to me moving forward. Cause like that is probably Notre Dame's most improved spot on the field. Um, but next year, even. yeah, next year, I mean, from the beginning of this year, going into to where we are now, but you know, without Foskey and Adam Alola, that makes a, a good defense susceptible um, to an offense that has, really found something the last couple of weeks but you know South Carolina's down two starters on the defensive line and they gave up 900 rushing yards combined I think to yeah. or 600 rushing yards combined to Florida and Vanderbilt um on you know right before they got hot offensively so it's I don't it's it's a game that I guess I would I don't want to read too much into whatever happens tomorrow I know that we will because we fall into that trap every damn time but we really should not f- read too much into stuff that we see uh, on Friday afternoon. No, I would agree, but man, you can't, you can't end the season with two losses and go into the off season with a whole ton of optimism. Of course, if you get Sam Hartman, that changes everything. And Tim, I agree with you. I mean, the intrigue, the intrigue of Tyler Buckner coming back and playing is great. The problem is it feels like on December 30th, you're starting over at quarterback and it just, you know, it just makes for a very uncertain uh, you know, game. I mean, what what did I call it, Tim? The I, why do I have a uh, keep having difficulty remembering the headline that I wrote about? It throws me off too, but I'm going to the most unpredictable Gator Bowl ever. Or yeah, something. yeah, or yeah. least predictable bowl game of all time. Right. It's just like you don't know. Okay, this guy's not playing, so that gives them an advantage there, but that advantage is negated because they don't have this, and it's just you you can bounce back and forth trying to trying to find who has the advantage. And by the time I got to the end of the story, I still didn't know. So, <laughs> I mean, I just think that that's, uh, that, that's where we are heading into this. Uh, uh, Pete, you mentioned Adam Alola. For those that haven't heard, Jason Adam Alola will not be playing in this game. So, yeah, they are down two defensive linemen, just like South Carolina is. Um, Brandon Joseph, I don't know that we really thought or knew that Brandon Joseph was still somehow – um, he could be newly hampered by his ankle injury. Yeah, that, recur a lot. Yeah, that could possibly be it. But but Marcus Freeman did say that Brandon Joseph practiced all week, but then said the dreaded game time decision, which, as you indicated, Tim, in our instant analysis, that rarely seems to go go <laughs> not very well. way. Yeah, and it's that, I think that matters with the hot Spencer Rattler. Obviously, um, I like the the thought of Joseph. I've just allowed myself reasonably to think of Joseph and Watts starting together next year because Brandon Joseph should return, even though he's never given an indication that he plans to or, or, or will. Um, I would think, Tim, that that injury, I just thought of this off the cuff. You guys tell me if you disagree. That injury is a reoccurrence, which might be why he did not opt out as well. I think he would, if he was injured, he would have opted out of the bowl game or he would have said, I'm not playing the bowl game. Yeah. And now so I think he might be coming back. But anyway. <laughs> That's that's a tangent. Um, 
I think they need Brandon Joseph back there against Spencer Rattler because I don't love the Houston Griffith DJ Brown combo against good athletes in space. <laughs> I never have. Brown has had moments in his career. We got to give him some credit, but no one gives Brown credit for the moments he's had, but he's had a lot of bad moments in space. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that he's a guy that plays better against worse teams, I think. That'd be tragic. Uh, yes. That's a tough, that's a tough situation without Joseph. So yeah, that adds some, that adds some more intrigue to what I already didn't know about the game. I'm looking forward to seeing Spencer Rattler play in person. Um, you know, South Carolina's had difficulty protecting him. And unfortunately, Notre Dame doesn't have their all-time leading sack man to take advantage of that. So that goes back. <laughs> the uh, the uh, uncertainty of which direction this game will go. I do want to touch upon some of the things that, that were talked about in today's uh, press coverage. Pete, you asked about... Uh, the portal and quarterbacks. And then when you, as you were asking the question, I was thinking, boy, he's going to dance around this one. But as we found out in speaking with him afterwards, he said, I knew you guys were going to ask about the, the portal and the quarterback situation. Maybe you can recap his response uh, to your question. Yeah. Pete. I mean, look, it's, I'm asking a question. So I have a quote from him. So when Sam Hartman transfers to Notre Dame, we have something that Marcus Freeman said about it. Um, you know, and I wanted to know, what the timeline was for taking a quarterback. And I wanted to know if game experience, how much of a sort of resume line that needed to be for whoever they took. Um, and yeah, he, he was like, you know, there's no timeline. It's recruiting. You're doing it all the time. Although then later in the press conference, he talked about how like, man, portal, you got to move quickly with that stuff. Um, but then I followed up about, how valuable is games and I you know threw out Caleb Williams the Virginia Tech version about you get to see him play against Clemson well Sam Harden you've seen him play against Clemson too and you know Freeman said that yeah that's you with a he acknowledged one we've got a very young quarterback room next year you know Tyler Buckner will still be a young player as a junior because they'll have three starts um so that he, you know, he said, like, look, if we're going to add somebody, you got to, they got to be the right personality fit in the room, but they got, they have to round it out in the room. That's why, like, Hudson Card never really made a lot of sense to me because he I hasn't agree. played enough football. Like, you already have Hudson Card. His name's Tyler Buckner. So at um, Sam Hartman would be somebody totally different. Um, and I think that, you know, while I sort of forced Freeman to answer my question by following up, um, he said, yeah game experience that's that's what we needed that in the quarterback room and Sam Hartman nobody has more than Sam Hartman I completely agree about the Hudson card situation I even though he would even though it helped your team to have another quarterback in the room so technically I'd rather have Hudson card than no one because you yes. you want that talent to the room I 100% on the record for that one it's so much different adding Sam Hartman who is the starter as he walks through spring practice he will become Notre Dame's best quarterback very quickly and I thought it was interesting that Marcus Freeman kind of forgot what year Tyler Buckner is. And I'm not making fun of him for this. He's a sophomore. He said freshman that he went back to sophomore and he's in between because he's actually a redshirt freshman right now. Yes. Redshirted now. As soon as yeah, he's a sophomore point. now, he becomes a redshirt freshman on Saturday. That is Tyler <laughs> Buckner. He's a sophomore that becomes a redshirt freshman. So yeah, he's got plenty of time. And you want to talk about a young redshirt? He's a young redshirt freshman, much less a young junior, for having three starts when he goes into next year. Well, you think about how much with the injuries and COVID, how how little football yeah. he's played in a in a pretty long period of time. And I, you know, I know that people are uh, impatient; they want to know timetables. I think the most 
For me, the most difficult question that's ever asked of me is timetables about sports because there, there's no specific timetable for it. For example, if Nordame has Sam Hartman locked up, which, you know, in the NIL age, nothing's locked up until he's locked up. Uh, but, you know, you're, they, they weren't going to, they're not going to put Tyler Buckner in a situation where they're announcing that here comes Sam Hartman before he plays the the, the bowl game. I think that's, I'm no, sure it's no, not, absolutely understand what's going to happen. Optics of it aren't great. And so the timetable will be the timetable when it's ready to happen. It, it will happen. And, uh, you know, <laughs> suggesting that, that Notre Dame fans be patient about this is that's a tough ask because they want the quarterback situation figured out. And as of December 29th, it's not completely figured out, at least not officially. So Patience is in order. I've argued with a couple people. Like I, I, Sam Hartman, is he going to be able to throw the ball over the line of scrimmage? Well, he's done it for 13,000 yards and 110 touchdowns, basically playing against the same teams that Notre Dame plays against. So, no, he's not the biggest guy. I, as, I was, as I was looking at film of him, one of the first plays I saw was a pass batted down at the line <laughs> of scrimmage. I'm like, oh, my God. And you know that's going to it happens to every quarterback, but it is right. going to happen. He's six one max, um, and I'm not saying the Notre Dame absolutely again. I'm not saying that it's a done deal because it's not done until until Sam Hartman says it's done and he signs something. But um, I'm excited about the prospect of an, a very very accomplished college quarterback leading Notre Dame's offense next year. Yeah, I mean for the for the record, classes start on January seventeenth. Right. That, was, that seems too long, but that is the absolute deadline of it. And you know, it will happen before that, whatever his choice is. So pull yourself to January 10th around that. That's a timeline where y'all all of a sudden you think this is not great. It's, I mean, I mean, we've said this many times, Jack Cohn didn't announce he was transferring Notre Dame. I think until the national championship game had ended, he knew well before that, that he was coming to Notre Dame. Right. Um, he, I think he knew it while Notre Dame was playing Alabama in the semifinal, but um that it will, if it gets done, it will, it will get, to, I don't, I don't think Notre Dame is going to lose him over a registration delay. How about that? You're okay. I, and the one, and the real takeaway here is Tim, the, all optics involved. They should never announce a grad transfer quarterback coming in before their bowl game is being played. No, I don't care what bowl you're in. That's not, that's, you would ask Sam Hartman, please delay until the 30th. I mean, right. That's, that's an yeah. easy well, I think Sam Hartman ask. got put in a bad spot because, like the story broke that he was leaving the day yeah. of his final game there, right. which put him right. in a, I mean, and I, he, he has said he was not coming back to Wake Forest anyway, but it hit that he was going to transfer opposed to do the NFL draft. I didn't think, and then we're going to go to segment two after this. I didn't think he played the bowl game with the same kind of verve, I guess, I think is the word that I used that, that we have seen from him. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot on his mind. He knows he's playing. He knows he's playing his last game for Wake Forest, whether he knows he's actually definitely coming to Notre Dame or considering other options. I I just didn't think that he had the bounce in his step and the, and you know, that, that we have seen from him. I didn't think he was as accurate as, as he has uh, normally been. Now he's a 59% passer. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, Wake Forest plays a very downfield passing game. So it's a lower percentage 
throw, generally speaking, when you go down downfield. That's not making an excuse for him because 59%, he needs to be better than that. He was 63% this past year, and I think that's more accurately what Notre Dame fans could expect from him if he ends up in a Notre Dame uniform. Back for segment two, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question has to do with the NIL and Sam Hartman. Not surprisingly, from JRIC68, it's been reported SEC schools are also interested in Hartman. Should he join Notre Dame? Does that mean we take it they have made some sort of financial agreement with it? I can't imagine such an accomplished college QB is going anywhere for free. And while ND doesn't want to have acquisition costs or pay for play, how do they tow that line but also make for the most attractive landing spot for an in-demand player who really should be able to help the program? I mean, Great question from Jay Ricks. No, it is. And, and I mean, herein lies the issues that Notre Dame has with this. It's my understanding that if Sam Hartman ends up at Notre Dame, there will have been some level of financial commitment and agreement to him. How do you guys see it? I, I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, but Notre Dame's quarter, I, I think Marcus Freeman has said, and he's right based on what I've been able to find out. Uh, if you are a top tier player at Notre Dame, you're going to make significant NIL money. I think that's been true. Certainly it's been true for Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, Michael Mayer. I mean, I think it was even true for Tyler Buckner this year is like, the quarterback is a big, big deal. Um, Sam Hartman would be the biggest of the deals at that point. So um, I don't know how like into NIL Sam Hartman is. I've heard some mixed things on that, but I think there are people working on his behalf that will uh, sort of see his market value realized. I think those are different things, though, his market value realized yeah. in over time and a financial agreement. But my question for you is, and I, I have to state this as, clearly as I can, because I've tried to state it on the last 10 podcasts, I feel like. If there's a financial agreement for every player on the team, whether it's baseline or staggered, right now we believe it is a baseline payment. Why can you not tell Sam Hartman, we are going to pay you this much money for joining the team when you join the team? I'm not saying you give it to him on January 1st. I'm saying when he enrolls in school, just like any Notre Dame freshman, the 2022 class enrolled in August got paid. Saying that out loud, because for some reason people don't believe that. I don't know how people are listening to this. Why is it bad to pay Sam Hartman on January 17th, as Pete said, when he enrolls? He's on the football team. He immediately, okay, what if he has to go to his first winter workout to get paid? Is that when you pay him, guy? Is that all of a sudden that's your cutoff point? This I don't know. It is such a ridiculous world we're dancing around and living in right now that you can't pay Sam Hartman on January 10th, but you can on July 5th. They didn't play a football game. I, this all goes back to the discomfort Norting feels and talking and publicly, publicly addressing these situations. We And look, we understand what is happening at a lot of places. And in order for Notre Dame to compete for people like Sam Hartman, it, you've got to, you've got to play the game to an extent. And I, and I think that if, 
I mean, if Sam Hartman ends up in Notre Dame, he's leaving money on the table from other places. Yeah, and I also think it's fair to say to the player, you want to come play for Notre Dame. We have all this NIL opportunity for you. You're going to get paid a baseline payment. Can you not just wait until everybody else gets their baseline payment? Sometimes it's not that hard to ask somebody that's going to be a member of your team to give in a little bit too, because that's how the program works. It, it's got to go both ways a little bit here for other for teams. I know it's harder yeah. for another team to do that. And you have to meet them in the middle. This should be easier now than it would have been a year ago because of the fund and the work that they've done and the fact that like there are receipts. Uh, you can show the receipts. Like come to Notre Dame, this is what's waiting for you as like a minimum baseline. But also you can talk to some of our more dude-esque players and talk to them about how their NIL stuff went. So there's a little bit more proof of concept there, whether it's whether you want to call it an upfront payment or just proof that this works um, because Promise there's of payment. Yeah. Yeah. You have documentation on how it worked for other guys. Like that's probably all that you really need. And ultimately like why is Sam Hartman coming back for a six year of college? It's not because he necessarily wants to play college football again. It's because he needs it to play NFL football in the future. Okay. That's, that's where the real sort of, this is a return on investment move for Sam Hartman, I think, more than it is a how how do I maximize my value as a six-year senior. Man, I miss the days of talking about football. It'll Just be coming football. soon. In fact, uh, we do have one more NLL question. Guys, there's two on here, but we talked about that second one completely in the first segment, I think. So this one, Irish Burnout 44. During the last podcast, it was discussed Notre Dame needed to weaponize, quote-unquote, the portal in this era of NIL, Pete, I believe that was your word. That's a good one. Is landing Sam Hartman enough to say Notre Dame weaponized the portal this cycle, or do they need to add another addition on the level of Nick McLeod, Ben Skoranek, or Brandon Joseph to get to that status? Another good question. Yeah, go ahead, Pete. I think what it needs to do is fill its needs in the portal. Um, That's what know, he was if, asking. That's yeah, and asking. if Notre Dame, Notre Dame has a need on the defensive line, I feel like it probably has a need at safety. Um, it had a need at receiver. You might even argue that it still has a need at receiver. Um, and that maybe looking at one of Sam Hartman's receivers from Wake Forest, if they enter the portal, would be interesting. But it, um, I think Notre Dame can be a top-notch player in the portal in its own way, not in a 16 transfers, because Notre Dame should really never, ever need 16 transfers. Um but it should be able to go out and get three or four of the best guys, offense and defense I'm talking, that it needs. Sam Hartman would be a big one. I think Caleb Smith is an important one. And then it's figuring out, okay, who's the defensive lineman you need to go get? You know, Brandon Fisk went to Florida State um, in the last week. Who's the next guy? Um, is there a defensive back out there? So, yeah, I would I would never say, like, one guy shows that it's been weaponized, but um, – he would Sam Hartman would certainly be the biggest guy that Notre Dame could get. All right, let me ask you guys this: In order for Notre Dame to match their talent level on the defensive line of 2022, how many transfer defensive linemen do they need from the portal? Well, they lose their two, arguably the two best players in Fosky and Adam Ola, and they lose Chris Smith, who's a reserve. The reserve rank should be filled, I think, with your reserves. In other words, Tyson Ford becomes a player. Gabe Rubio becomes a player that is higher. But he was already in the rotation. So Tyson Ford fills Chris Smith, even though one guy's 23 and one guy's 19. That's your Notre Dame football program. you got to be able to replace Chris Smith. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, they need one starter level player. 
And I would, I, I think they need one starter level player. They have, they have about nine promising freshman linemen. If you add them all together, freshman and redshirt freshman, three of them can maybe show out next year and, and continue to develop quickly. But one's mandatory, and I get what you're saying that they need to. Yeah, I, know, I, think they, I think they need at least one DN and one D tackle. Yeah. And that was well, the whole I mean, idea of Braden Fisk. I, to answer your question, like they're not going to match their talent level okay. next year <laughs> as this year. Like that, that's what happens when your all-time sacks leader leaves for the pros. Um, that's okay. Like that's just college football. But they I I agree they they need a high power five starter to join the program on the defensive line to round some things out. Um, Cause I think they're a little bit short and, and I'm not sure if I would argue that they, they need a DN more than they need a D tackle. I just think they need, they need one guy to sort of solidify, help solidify the the whole, whether that means you can keep Riley Mills at strong side end, or you get a DN so you can move Riley Mills inside. I don't know, but at least one power five starter I think is necessary. And Hey, two would be great, but that's hard to, yeah. hard to make. I think Fisk would have, although he wasn't power five, I think Fisk would have uh, met the criteria that you're describing yeah, yeah. because he's a guy that six, five, 300 that played inside. But I, I, I think I comment on this a while back that, um, you know, Western Michigan would pop him outside in pass rushing situations. And he certainly didn't look out of place, uh, but that's all, that's all gone to hell for him now. Yeah. So um, yeah, they've got to address that. And, and to your point, Tim, um, some of these young guys need to step up now. Uh, you know, you, you need a Tyson Ford. Jason Anya, I know not very highly regarded, but he's been in the program a couple of years now. Um, you know, can he, he be Chris, can he be Chris Smith and along with Tyson Ford? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a yeah, different so, right? in a different shaped body, yes. Sure. But so. yeah, you know, you, you know, you hope so. Can can Aiden Gobira give you some kind of pass rush as early as next year? I'm not sure that he's going to fill out you know, size and strength wise quick enough to do that. I think an important part of this is when we talk about Chris Smith is when Chris Smith was picked up because you can get a Chris Smith level player in the portal when you're during spring practice and you look at your coaching, your coaching staff and say, what do we need? And they say, we need another body that can play at this position that can help us. Not that can start. Chris Smith couldn't start at Notre Dame. That would have been a bad starter for a Notre Dame program that wants to contend. But they looked around, they said, "Uh uh-oh, Aiden K9, I got hurt. We need somebody. They got him. That should be available to Notre Dame a lot, right? Don't you think March and April, you, you just figure out, all right, internally, yeah. like that should always be available. Well, I thought Marcus Freeman today said you were, hey, we're recruiting every day. And I know he means that. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it's, it's, it's high school guys. And, and now it's, it's portal guys. Can we, maybe we can, can we move on to Notre Dame, South Carolina game? Yeah, here? we got a good one, actually. This is going to make you think. All right. Irish, Irish, Irish gambler. gambler. Go get it. Go get it, Tim. I like this one. Pick a game from the 2022 regular season that will have a similar game flow to the Gator Bowl. Uh, my first thought, of course, is Ohio State, but they won't play it that close to the vest. Uh, I do think they need to protect Tyler Buckner a little bit without Drew Pine and without, excuse me, without Michael Mayer on third and long, third and passing situations. How do you feel about a little bit of the disjointedness, maybe not this many yards, of the BYU game? That's my choice. That okay. that was my pick. Yeah, maybe not 500 yards. I don't think Notre Dame's going to get 500 yards in total. No, I don't think they're going to possess the football for 40 plus minutes either. But I yeah. do think that Notre Dame wins this game. It w- it will be a possession game for Notre Dame, somewhere in the 35 minute range. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think Notre Dame will try to possess the ball as much as possible, but it South Carolina seems like they they will have a a torrid hot quarter in the game. Yeah, and you just don't know when it's going to happen. Could be the first quarter, could be the fourth quarter, uh, but there there will be moments in the game where you're like, holy crap! Oh yeah, that's the team that blew out Tennessee. Um, they're also the team that got blown out by Florida. So. Uh, it would behoove Notre Dame if the first half of this game felt a little bit like the first half of the Oklahoma State game last year, but the second half obviously didn't. <laughs> but I, but I mean, could could you not see the flow of this game feeling, even though the product will look totally different? Tyler Buckner's gonna not going to throw sixty eight times, but couldn't you see the flow of this game feeling a little bit like the Fiesta Bowl last year, where Notre I don't Dame feel like Notre Dame can score the way they did in that. Fiestable with Tyler Buckner compared to Jack Cohen. I feel like they're going to run South Carolina off the field at the beginning of the game, but then South Carolina is probably going to throw their way back into it. Yeah, no, that that I agree with. Just not in that crazy 38, 37, 37. No, no, no. But but just like a a volatile Notre Dame is in command of this game, and then holy cow, they're not. Um, I could see that vibe happening, which has happened. I mean, what that happened in uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, it happened in the Navy game. Syracuse, um, a little bit. Yeah, Syracuse a little bit. Just uh, B, I mean BYU, which is I think I think the best answer for this because that was a, against a better team, but it felt like Notre Dame was in command. They weren't blowing them out, but it felt like they were in command. Right. And then suddenly it felt like BYU. If this game goes on, if there was a fourth quarter and a half, that BYU would have won the game. Yeah, and I the, one of the reasons I picked BYU is the final score was twenty eight twenty, and I think this is going to be an under game. Um, and what the over under Tim is 51 and a half. Yeah. I think 28, 20 is kind of, you know, in that vicinity. Um, let me ask you that, or let me make this comment if I could, I think one of the most underrated and not even considered parts of this game is that South Carolina lost their offensive coordinator. Marcus Satterfield is gone. You know who's going to be the coordinator? I, it, it's really not absolutely certain, but Nick Coleman, and I'm not talking about Nick Coleman, the former Notre Dame DB. I wish you were, because that would kill South Carolina if Nick Coleman had to be the offensive coordinator for this game. It would be remarkable, <laughs> honestly. And that's no offense to Nick, but, you know, that wouldn't go well. Now, this is Nick Coleman. Shoot, I need to I need to pull it up where the schools that he's been to. He, 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 I know that he, he is not a popular coordinator. choice with the fan base of South Carolina from talking to. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but I mean, he he is not coordinated with on any level of distinction, including a, a community college that I, I'm not pulling up the name right here right now. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's extremely underrated. We saw what happened. How did the game start last year against Oklahoma State without Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator? I mean, Notre Dame scored twenty, scored uh, three touchdowns in the first nineteen minutes of the game. I, you know, I'm not saying that Notre Dame's just going to overrun Spencer Rattler during the first, you know, twenty minutes, but I think it's very underrated. I, I don't even know that Notre Dame fans are acknowledging that. Spencer Rattler doesn't have his offensive coordinator for this game. And so I think that that's a, uh, that can, that can be a significant advantage for Notre Dame. I think you just told a bunch of Notre Dame fans that, that are, yeah, well, good. I, you know, but I, but I also put a, put out a piece about all these things that South Carolina is missing. And one of the responses was Spencer Rattler versus Tyler Buckner. That's the only thing that matters. Why well, it's a, it's a significant part of it, but I don't think that's the only thing 
that matters. Question from J.R. Rick 68. Do you expect Notre Dame to use Tyler Buckner as a runner in the Gator Bowl as much as previously, or will there be any concerns or consideration about his shoulder built into the game plan? The second part is from uh, from Produce 7. How much, if at all, do you expect Steve Angeli to play in a bowl game? I mean, I think Buckner is a quarterback at Notre Dame because he's a runner. So Tyler Buckner is going to have to just play the same way he did against Ohio State and Marshall. Now you can start protecting a little bit if he gets hot as a passer, like he did at times against Virginia Tech. He was more, he was more of a regular quarterback against Virginia Tech. We did not see that this year. It's not really fair because the offensive line wasn't as good. He had young receivers. Your receivers have gotten better than Tyler. Last time Tyler Buckner played, the tight end has gotten a lot worse. So I, Tyler Buckner is going to have to run the ball uh, for him to be successful in this game. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to see Tyler Buckner with ten rushing attempts unless he's forced think, to run. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think you're going to see Tyler Buckner with two rushing attempts either. Um, One way I, of putting this. Go ahead, B. I'm sorry. I was going to say like a couple a couple design runs, and I really mean a couple, a couple scrambles. And if those are productive, that's probably enough. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, the Tyler Buckner that you saw at Ohio state, no way they're going to run them that much. Um, and like to the second point, uh, not to give away my prediction, but I think Notre Dame is going to win a competitive game. And that would lead me to believe that Steve Angeli won't play at all. So are you, Pete, are you suggesting that he won't run as much because of the injury that he's coming off of? Because I don't believe that they would run him out there if he wasn't. You can't run him out there if he's not completely healed and strong enough to do this. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't – yeah, I just don't know how he could be all the way at 100% after – Strength-wise. Strength-wise, I agree. Right? Like, I think I would just sort of – like this is a calculated risk to play Tyler Buckner. I think it it's a smart one, um, but I just wouldn't put him. I wouldn't intentionally put him in harm's way if I didn't have to. Um, I would, you know, I would still keep the Mitchapalooza package in, even though my quarterback is a really good athlete. It's just like I don't need Tyler Buckner taking that hit, um, but I don't need him sliding after a two yard gain. Um, to avoid a linebacker either. So I don't know. It's a, it's a tough, tough balancing act for Notre Dame, I think. But just very quickly, Tim, like I predicted, and sadly this was correct, Tyler Buckner would lead Notre Dame in rushing against Ohio State, and that would be a bad thing. He is not going to lead Notre Dame in rushing against South no. Carolina. I would agree with that. And, I, you know, I wrote a story early in December, you know, just kind of could, could Angeli play in this game. But, look, we know Marcus Freeman. The only – he's not going to use – Angeli as a changeup. He would use Angeli if he thinks Angeli can help them win the game. Right. But, yeah. but I don't, but I just don't think that he wa- Marcus Freeman wants to win football games and, and fans and we can look at it however we want to look at it. You know, this game doesn't mean this or that, or it's just the, you know, an exhibition or whatever. He wants to win his ninth football game. And I think he's just going to do whatever he has to do in order to do that. And I think that includes running Tyler Buckner. And I think that it excludes Angeli, unless he thinks that there's a specific role that Angeli can play that can help lead them to victory. I guess like six overall Marcus Freeman. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the way I look at Buckner's run game tomorrow in my mind, at least is like, I would expect a lot more, like if he's running it being sort of like a play action bootleg where he's really in space by himself and less, 
zone read where there are 17 guys around him. Um, so it's like, it's a little bit more um, one-on-one in space. He can outrun most South Carolina defenders, um, but you're not asking him to run zone read up the middle. Um, I do. That's sort of just in my mind how I see tomorrow playing. No, but but if you look, if you're going to run zone read, he's got to he's got to do what he has to do with the proper read. If that means keeping it, then that's what you have to do. I just can't. I, I, you can't run him out there unless he's he's 100 percent healthy. He also and, can't pass well enough to win the game. I'm just going to say that. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And I and I think that he can enhance Notre Dame's running game. <laughs> Along with along with Estime and Diggs in particular, and Chris Tyree as well. We have a question from Wash ND. Uh, this is an over-under, Tim. Uh, over-under yeah. 39 and a half rushing attempts. For Notre Dame, I'm going to go over. I think we're all going to go over on that, Pete. Over. Um, Notre Dame is 6-0 and when they hit 40 rushing attempts, and I think South Carolina is, I think, winless. Um, or wanted I I have this in my story today and now I can't remember. When they, but when 40, they, 40 rushing attempts is sort of a magic number in this game. Um I think if Notre Dame gets it, um it really, really bodes well for how this is gonna end. Uh I can, Nick, what do you think, Tim? You're saying over, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely saying over. Nine nine and a half snaps for Angeli. I'm under on that. I'm under. Pete, I'm sure you are as well. Uh, two and a half receptions for Tobias Merriweather, who is healthy apparently and ready to to roll, which um, you know could could come into play. He's got one catch; it was productive. It was. I would take one catch for a 41 yard touchdown for Merriweather. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But I'm going under. In the season with two catches for 82 yards and two scores, that would that would work. Uh, that would work well. You think he'll have more than two and a half receptions? I do not. How about one and a half interceptions by Notre Dame? Washington, he said Notre Dame secondary, but let's just say one and a half interceptions by Notre Dame's defense. I will go over. I think over of that as well. Yeah, I, I think, Tim, we were talking about this last night. I think you were there too. Uh, over under on combined interceptions of the two quarterbacks because I think Notre Dame's going to pick Rattler too. And you said, I guess you said at two and a half. But I, I could go see over it. for both te- both quarterbacks. I would go over two. Yeah, but well, that's why maybe you could set a three and a half. That was that was part of what I was saying. Like, it, it might be that it might be that kind of game because Rattler's going to Rattler's going to get picked. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty confident of that. And you know, Buckner, Buckner has, gets picked a lot. Yeah, probably. And you Bruce know, Brown, he gets picked. Fortunately, a lot. Yeah, fortunately for Notre Dame, South Carolina's missing their two best defensive backs. Now they've got. I still think they've got a couple other ones that are decent. I know. Uh, uh, Darius Rush is out and Cam Smith is out, but Marcellus Dial leads the team in interceptions with three, and he has 11 passes broken up. So they still have some talent back there. It'll be interesting to see what, what Tyler Buckner can do. From Terry Benedict, we touched on this a little. It's an interesting one. Would it have benefited Notre Dame if Marcus Freeman wasn't so open about the availability of Tyler Buckner heading into this game? I mean, I think in theory, that's the that that would be great, but I don't think you could have pulled it off because there would have been there would have been reports that Tyler Buckner's practicing. Yeah. We would have had questions about it. I, I don't think that you could have avoided the reality of Tyler Buckner's return to health. 
Yeah, I mean, how open has he been about Sam Hartman? And yet, that story is where it is. So I, I don't think him being open or not had a whole lot to do with anything. Like these yeah. coaches, like you know what's going on. There's and you just can't avoid a starting quarterback. Those days are those days are gone. They are. <laughs> I do can't. think that Drew Pine back. What I said earlier would work. Drew Pine back. Oh, we hear Tyler Buckner's practicing. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to get him some reps. It'd be nice if you get in the game, and then you have the Tyler Buckner package all game long to go with Drew Pine. That is a tactical advantage. I that don't think a, the that's a good point. I think that would have been that 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 would have been uh, you could have used that to your advantage certainly. Uh, question from Statman seventy two: Not having Michael Mayer is a big loss, but every other aspect of the offense, offensive line, running backs, wide receivers, is much stronger than when Buckner last played. How much do those improvements raise the bar in evaluating his bowl performance? I'll go first because I'm harsh on Tyler Buckner, the passer. I, It's a hard situation for, as I said, anybody coming back after three months out because of injury, especially a kid that's played the equivalent of starting three games if you throw in Virginia Tech and probably played in six more as a running back quarterback in those other games two years ago. I do not, I'm not going to over-evaluate Tyler Buckner's performance of this. If he goes in there and plays a smart game and protects the football, I think he's done his job in this game. I think it does raise the bar um, because if he goes in there and plays a smart game and protect the football, the output should be a heck of a lot better than it was against Marshall. Um, Because the run, like, if Audric Estime is snapping off 20-yard runs and Logan Diggs is snapping off 20-yard runs, that that wasn't happening against Marshall uh, or Ohio State. And we all look at the quarterback differently when the offense is functioning, regardless of how well the quarterback is actually playing sometimes. Um, and so I think Tyler Buckner, if he just has a, like a decent game, but the offensive line plot chews up South Carolina's front seven, you know, Tyler Buckner didn't get Jared Patterson playing great football, but Jared Patterson is going to play great football on Friday. And then if that happens, Tyler Buckner is going to be the beneficiary of it. So I, I think it raises the bar on how we're going to feel about Tyler Buckner, um, which is different than saying he's going to go out and throw for 375 yards. Yeah. Well, my question is how much will not having Michael Mayer lower the bar that those other aspects raise? I, I think that Notre Dame is it's a net. I'm gonna. This will sound weird, but I think it will be a net positive that Michael Mayer is not playing in the game. That does if, sound if, weird. <laughs> if you just take how where the offensive line was against Marshall to where they are now, yeah. The the best is both. The best is Michael Mayer playing with the offensive line and the run game functioning the way they are. Um, but I I still think it's just, that's the most interesting thing about this game is Tyler Buckner playing in this offense with this offensive line and these receivers because they're not. The, it's not the same offensive line or the same receivers. No, it's not. Play. And I think I think who's your? I look at this like who's your most physical pass catcher now that Michael Mayer's out, and that's Jaden Thomas. I think Jaden Thomas will lead them in receptions against South Carolina. I'm writing about this in my preview, Tim, and I want to throw it out real fast. Deion Colsian. Drew Pine had a pretty good rapport there, right? They, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but they talked about how it was forged as a second team players and prior to that as scout team players. You wonder if Tyler Buckner has that with someone or with Deion Colsey, who is surging. Does Tyler Buckner have a rapport with someone in that wide receiver group? I, I would think his classmates. Yeah, you you would maybe, but I just Deion Colsey took so long to come on. You know, that was a, it, 
can can Deion Colsey continue that? He was a big part yes. of what was happening. I, I, think, yeah, I think he can. I think he I'm will. Sure I, I think like the physical receiver, I was going to say Colsey. Okay, well, that's fair enough, too, because he's he's taller. But, I mean, I don't think he's as – I don't think he's as physical as Jaden Thomas, whatever. They're both good options and you need good options without that stud at tight end. Now, where, do, where does Mitchell Evans come into play in the, in the, the receiving game here? Because they need some productivity, productivity from that position. I know they, we haven't seen it recently, but we saw him as a freshman run down that seam a couple of times in practices in the blue goal game and thought, wow, they have something in Mitchell Evans, don't they? So let's let's see something well, in Mitchell Evans. Remember preseason, the play, I think we can all envision, at least I, um, Pete, I don't know about you, but Tim and I were, I think, near each other on the opposite field. We saw a ball down the middle of the field. It was like, did you see what Holden Stage just did there? Oh, yeah. You know, so um, – I don't know, man. It it goes back to the outrageously unpredictable. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> I have an answer here for you. What are you talking about? Maybe Stick they'll go with 10 personnel, four <laughs> receivers on the field at once for the first time all season. We're throwing darts at the dartboard here, man. Uh, we'll find out when everybody else finds out. Right, we're going to wrap up with a, uh, a double question here, one from the very familiar Denver Maximus. It is always helpful to go into the offseason with a win in a bowl game, but what do you need to see this weekend besides a win to give you more optimism? What would be your biggest concern? And then for Mr. Nev, most important thing you need to see in this game, and thank you, Mr. Nev, he concludes by saying thanks for a great season. And that's why Mr. Nev was included, because I was thanking him for thanking us for a great season. Oh, there we go. Thank you all around. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, biggest. Uh, I mean, I guess the biggest cons- the biggest concern going into next season would be if Tyler Buckner just looks like he did against Marshall as a passer. I wouldn't expect. I wouldn't expect you to see that because we've seen Tyler Buckner against Virginia Tech when he didn't look like he did <laughs> against Marshall. I, I want to see Buckner seem like a college quarterback that can also be a really good runner. Um, not as big of a concern if Sam Hartman is with Notre Dame, but you know how that goes. Sam Hartman could be out, and Tyler Buckner could be in at any moment. Um, I am not on the young guys need to play and see that because I don't think that's going to happen. I would have optimism if I see Jalen Sneed come in in a package blitzing because they keep talking about how he's improved. I know we asked the question a thousand times, but he himself said, the thing I can do right now at 220, and I've always been able to play this a little bit, is I think I can rush the passer. Well, they don't have Isaiah Foskey, so find a third down roll for Jalen Sneed to rush the passer. Let's see that athleticism. Yeah, Pete, what, what was Marcus Freeman's reaction right when we got done talking with him? I mean, after his press conference, his reaction about Jalen Sneed, what was that? Yeah, I just I just said, hey, uh, like, that, I guess it was sort of like, a, hey, how, how was Sneed looking? Or like, I, it was just kind of, kind of a casual aside. He was like, oh, yeah, like you're going to see a lot of Sneed. Yeah, um, yeah that, that was my impression of his his reaction to that. Yeah. Here's my optimism. I want to see that. I want there to see you go. There you go. Uh, I would like, so the Buck, like Buckner, obviously, it's the quarterback that like, gets his own separate like positive negative like um i want to see notre dame's run defense particularly the defensive line hold up without foskey and adam lola because i don't think the position hit the heights we thought it was going to the guys that are going to be playing on the defensive line pretty much are all going to be back next year um it's not an uber talented group so if they if they get run on by South Carolina, I would be concerned about where that's going next year because it's not a great rush offense. Marshawn Lloyd, their top running back's not playing in the game. Um, 
I need to see Notre Dame's run defense deliver in a in a kind of important spot here when they're not at full strength. I I would be alarmed if well, first of all, like what do I want to see? Notre Dame needs to win a football game. That's it. That there, there's no there's no carryover nine months later. I Notre Dame or eight months later. Notre Dame needs to win a football game. Okay. So that's the only thing that matters to me as I as I look at this game. If South Carolina runs the football against Notre Dame, that that's a huge concern because I would I would be shocked if that happened because they don't have Marshawn Lynch with his nine rushing touchdowns and his 5.2 yards per carry. They don't have Jaheim Bell, a 230-pounder. Hey, you know, when I asked about uh, Bertrand about red zone today, he mentioned them in Wildcat. I can't imagine them in Wildcat without Marshawn Lloyd right. and Jaheim Bell because they have Juju McDowell, who's five foot nine, 180 pounds, who's carried 56 times, averages 3.4 yards per carry. They don't, I mean, uh, Christian Beale Smith is injured. That would be that would be an option, but he I I believe he's still hurt. So I don't think they should be able to run the football against Notre Dame. You know, even without Adam Alola and Foskey. Prediction time, right? Prediction time, gentlemen. Um, I don't think this game's going to make any sense, so my prediction won't either. Um, I like Notre Dame 33-24. Why Notre Dame's offense would really click in the gear without Michael Mayer and uh, Tyler Buckner playing his way back into game shape, I don't have a great reason for you. Um, but I do think Notre Dame's offensive line is the best position group on the field. I think they're going to play like it. Um, that's not going to be enough to win on its own. I think South Carolina will have some success in the passing game with Spencer Rattler, and I think they will have – I mean, I, I think he will, he will look like a knockoff Caleb Williams for a couple – couple big moments on Friday, but um, in the end, I think Notre Dame's offensive line and Tyler Buckner maybe hitting a, some of the deep shots that he missed earlier in the season with a receiver group that suddenly feels like capable of delivering, you know, also Braden Lindsay is still out there. So Braden Lindsay's overdue to catch a, a deep ball and do something with it. So we'll see that on Friday, Notre Dame 33, South Carolina 24. I'm a little lower because Notre Dame doesn't have Michael Mayer. And I, I am 50, 50, the quarterback play will just be worse than it was with Drew Pine at the end of the season. Um, I think Drew Pine will be a better quarterback. I mean, I think Tyler Buckner will be a better quarterback than Drew Pine at some point in his college career. Uh, also, I don't see the special teams boost as easily for Brian Mason's unit against Pete Lembo's unit. So it's hard to, it's hard to throw that in. We never should have been throwing that in, but I was throwing that into many predictions. So I, I don't see that boost quite as easily. And I don't see the defensive touchdown boost quite as easily uh, as you would think with Isaiah Foskey in there and maybe a healthy, healthy Brandon Joseph. I know that sounds weird, but Brandon Joseph does have one of the defensive touchdowns this year that he created for the, for the Irish. Uh, I'm more in the 26, 24 range for Notre Dame. I think Tyler Buckner drives will stall. They'll be promised, but they'll stall at times. And um, as Tim mentioned in his question today to Marcus Freeman, how do you get better in the red zone defensively? I think they don't get better in the red zone defensively this game either. Yeah, South Carolina is good in the red zone. But again, they don't have those running backs. But right. yeah, uh, the only, you know, I'll have my prediction in the preview, which is actually coming out today, as opposed to normally we're doing this on a Thursday and it comes out on Friday. So um, Irish Hill subscribers will see that prediction. I, I, it's low scoring. I think it's under 
I think it's under 51 and a half. Yeah, I almost went as low as 24-20. And but I think Pete almost I think Pete talked me into uh Rattler making something look crazy for about nine yeah. minutes. I, I agree with that theory now. So I wanted to add some more points. Yeah. To yeah. I, I just want to uh, a couple uh pieces of information for our subscribers. Uh tail of the tape. We're gonna that'll be pushed back a day from what it normally is. So um you know, look for that to come a day later. And then with regard to our next podcast, it'll be Tuesday, January 3rd, as we try to get home. Why do I have this? O'Malley has the worst travel luck in the history of traveling. And why do I get this feeling that I'm going to get stung trying to get out of Jacksonville on New Year's? I, I book I because, it's, because it's New Year's Eve day. And I know. And I, I normally don't book an early flight because there's so much work to do afterwards. And I want to fly later, but I didn't do that. Because because I want to be home in time for New Year's Eve, you know it's going to happen, man. I know it's going to happen. I'll, don't, I'll don't, speak, don't speak that evil into existence. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Okay, very good. All right, everybody. Thank you. Happy New Year to everybody. Enjoy the game, and we will uh, we will be having our next Irish Illustrated Insider on Tuesday, January third. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000 year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman of course because over 250 years later the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.